0: we
1: are in the book of Daniel. Last week we started on chapter nine and got through Daniel's prayer. That took us most of the hour, so I decided that we'll do the second half of Daniel, chapter nine, which is the 70 weeks, which is the thing that everybody comes for anyway. At this point, Daniel realizes that the 70 years of exile are coming to a close and he realizes that because he's reading Jeremiah and we'll read that passage in just a minute. As we said last time, God's will is not self-enforcing. God has made a policy decision that dominion belongs to us. So when God wants something done, he does it through a man. He gets a prophet to say it and speak it out loud or he gets somebody with hands and skin on to go do something, but God himself doesn't intervene without human agency. So even when things like fire comes down from heaven, it's like Moses that causes that to happen. Remember when Ezekiel barbecued the prophets of Baal? Ezekiel was the guy that made that happen. The deal is biblically, when God makes his power manifest in the earth, he works through somebody. Daniel, realizing that the 70 weeks is over, goes into prayer and what he says is, God, I am calling on your mercy and your forgiveness and I'm reminding you of your word and I'm asking you now to restore the fortunes of your people. And what I said last time and what I still believe is had a man not stepped up and done that, I don't know what would have happened. A man did, so we don't know. But even though the time is up and the prophecy says, Daniel does not consider that it's going to happen without his intervention. Because he could sit back on his blessed assurance and say, well, the book says 70 years. I'll just sit here and wait. And lest I be in any way misunderstood, the power is God's, not man's. The authority is God's, not man. Man is simply a valve. If God chose to act in some other way than through a man. There's nothing we could do about it. He's the one that set that policy and he obeys his own policy. And we trust in that. We read the book and the book says these are my policies and we trust that that's true and we trust that he is going to be faithful to his word. But quite frankly, if he weren't, there isn't anything we can do about it. All we can do is read and act as if he's going to fulfill his word, which he always does so that brings us now down to daniel chapter 9 and verse 20 while i was speaking and praying confessing my sin and the sin of my people israel and presenting my plea before the lord my god for the holy hill of my god while i was speaking in prayer the man gabriel whom i had seen in the vision at the first came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice you made me understand speaking with me and saying O Daniel, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So this is a new prophecy. Previously, when Gabriel showed up at the river Ulai, it was to give interpretation to a dream that Daniel had. There's no dream in this case. Daniel has simply read the book. Speaking of that, let's go to Jeremiah very quickly. It's in Jeremiah 25, and I will pick it up in verse 11. The whole land shall become ruin and waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Notice the wording here. You're going to serve Babylon for 70 years. Now, one of the things that I'm going to take you to now is a slide that I have prepared. So here's the Babylonian Empire. And notice that the Babylonian Empire begins in 609 B.C. with the defeat of the Assyrian Empire. Remember, the Assyrians are the ones that took out the Northern Kingdom. So the Northern Kingdom has been gone for over 100 years. They were taken out by the Assyrians that in 609 BC, Babylon defeats the Assyrians. Babylon itself is defeated by the Medes and the Persians in 539 BC. Now, those of you who are good at arithmetic will notice that the difference between 609 BC and 539 BC is 70 years. So the idea in Jeremiah is not your exile is gonna be 70 years, but you're gonna serve Babylon for 70 years. And to make that happen, Babylon lasts exactly 70 years. So now I'm all the way down to Daniel chapter nine and verse 24. And this is now Gabriel speaking. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. So 70 weeks are decreed to do those six or seven things, depending on how you count. If you count to seal both vision and prophet as two things, you then have seven things. If you don't count them as two things, then you only got six. So those are the things that are going to happen. These are decreed about your people, Daniel's people. And you can look at that as either being Israel or Judah. I suspect it's probably Israel, but a lot of this just has to do with Judah. Verse 25. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with the squares and moat, but in troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war, desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So this is where the bunnies run wild. I have come up with at least three different interpretations of what this might mean, and I will take you through them. And you can decide what you want to believe, and you can believe any of them, or all of them, or none of them, but I wouldn't believe all of them because they're inconsistent. Also, quite frankly, none of the three that I am going to tell you about is completely consistent with Scripture. Everybody got all my caveats there. Right, the first one, is sort of a classic. Sir Robert Anderson wrote a book called The Coming Prince and it is about the book of Daniel. The guy lived in the 19th century. He was a Brit and he was also, I believe, chief of Scotland Yard. Very bright guy. I will take you through what he thought and take you through his reasoning. First thing we need to know is what decree are we talking about? Because It says, from the time of the decree, and that's your marker. Oh, one other thing that I have to do. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 is where Yeshua on the Mount of Olives is talking to his disciples. This is a private discussion between Yeshua and his disciples. This is not a public address to an assembled multitude. I'm not going to read it all, but starting in verse three, as he sat at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the conversation that they're asking him is, tell us what's going to happen next. We're expecting the end, we're expecting a messianic event. We believe you're the Messiah. Tell us what's going to happen next. And then he goes through a bunch of stuff but I want to come down to verse 15. So I'm skipping over a bunch of Yeshua's words, but now down to verse 15 in Matthew 24. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Geodea flee to the mountains and so forth. The only reason I'm reading this to you is because Yeshua says, that some of this stuff in Daniel is yet to happen. He also says that Daniel is a prophet. Those are two important pieces of information as you read various people's ideas of what all this means. I will suggest to you that if they don't think that Daniel's a prophet, in other words, they think the book is all historical and there there is a perspective that thinks that the book of Daniel was written during the time of the Maccabees and it was basically wartime propaganda to buck up the Jews as they were fighting with the Greeks. That is the liberal perspective on the book of Daniel. I will suggest to you that Yeshua puts the lie to that because Yeshua is 200 years after the wars of the Maccabees. And what he's saying is Daniel's a prophet and the stuff that Daniel prophesied is yet to happen. As I say, one of the perspectives on this is it's completely historical, completely propaganda. I discount that entirely because Yeshua contradicts it and I'm not even going to present that to you other than what I just said so everything kicks off with a decree there are four decrees that happen with respect to the exiles in Babylon the first one is in 538 BC and that was by Cyrus he ordered the captives released and gave Zerubbabel authority and resources to rebuild the temple. And that's in Ezra 1 verses 1 through 3. Notice when 538 BC is. It is a year after the 70 years of the Babylonian empire are over. So at that point, the exile is officially over. Now, most of the Jews did not go back. So there continued to be Jews in the Persian Empire to this day. In fact, the book of Esther talks about an incident in the Persian Empire when the Jews were part of the Persian Empire and and a major part. The second one is in 517 BC and that one Darius confirms Cyrus's decree and that's in Ezra 6. So what happens is Ezra is having some trouble and he goes back and he says, I've got a decree here." And Darius goes back to the archives and finds Cyrus's decree and confirms that decree. Then you have 457, and this is under Artaxerxes. And that gives Ezra the authority to restart temple services. And that's in Ezra 7, 11 through 26 and in Ezra 9, 9. And then in 445 BC, Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah authority to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So there's your four decrees that are candidates for the start of the decree in the two versions I am going to take you through. There's a third version that I will take you through that doesn't use any of these decrees. First one is Sir Robert Anderson in the coming prince. Sir Robert Anderson's insight is that a year is 360 days. And he calls them prophetic years. In other words, years that are used in prophetic speaking as opposed to regular years. Now, the reason that he does that, and he's not stupid and he's not rolling his own. Before 701 B.C., the actual year was 360 days long. After 701 B.C., the orbit of the Earth changed and the year became 365 and a quarter days long. When Hezekiah was ill, and on his deathbed, the prophet came in and said, you want God to give you a sign? He said, no, no, I won't disturb the Lord. And he said, we're gonna give you a sign anyway. What we're gonna do is we're gonna back up the sundial. And the sundial cranks backwards. And that process, apparently the Earth's orbit was changed. And that's when we got the five extra days in the year, 701 BC. I am told, I have not studied this myself, but I am told that as of 701 BC, calendars all over the world had to be changed. You know, the Mayan calendar, the Chinese calendar, all of these peoples had their calendars. And they were all 360 days, and then in 701 BC, everybody said, oh, shoot, it's now 365 days. And of course, the problem with that is when the calendar doesn't match with the number of days in the years, the months march through the seasons. So, for example, the Muslims, they don't have the adjustment 365. So the Muslim calendar floats, which is why Ramadan, for example, can show up pretty much any time of the year. Everybody went to 365, but of course that is a quarter of a day off. So every four years you add a day, which is what we know as leap year. so The Gregorian calendar does a pretty good job of matching the sun. The way the Hebrews do it is there's a strictly a lunar calendar. So the lunar calendar never matches the solar calendar anyway. And so what they do is they peg the first of Nisan, which is when Passover is. They go out into the fields and they look and if there is ripe barley the first of Nisan falls on the 12th month. If there is not ripe barley to bring in for first fruits, they add a month in there and move Nisan back 30 days to give the barley time to ripen. So that's how the Jews manage the mismatch between a lunar calendar and a solar calendar and with the leap year. Anderson's insight was, wait a minute, if we read, for example, Ezekiel, where he talks about Gog and Magog. Well, Gog and Magog, by the time of Ezekiel, are no longer existent. But they did exist at the time the nations were divided in Genesis. So what Robert Anderson's insight was, God seems to call regions by the people that he put in there originally. Even if somebody has conquered them and they no longer exist, that region of the world is called Gog or Magog because that's where I put them to begin with so he says aha well from that I can say the year was 360 days at creation so God when he talks about years is talking about the years as they were originally created and all this wiffle-duffle with the earth orbit and the changing of the years doesn't phase God because the year is 360 days so we have a 360 day prophetic year you can also go to Revelation where you have three-and-a-half-year period which is broken down into 1260 days so that works too so Anderson is not a dummy he's got good biblical background and by the way he goes through all of that in the excruciating detail in this book that's what the whole book is about is he goes through the scripture and he points out what his sources are and so forth so 69 times 7 is 483 now where do I get 69 in the prophecy you have seven plus 62 so I'm in verse 25 know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed once a prince there shall be seven weeks then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat but in troubled times so you have seven you have 62 that takes you to 69 so we have a week that's not accounted for and we'll talk about that in just a minute but as you're looking at my slide here, you have 69 weeks, which is 62 plus seven. Seven times 69 is 483. So you have 483 years from the decree that he's finding. And in prophetic years, 483 times 360 is 173,880 days. So the question then becomes, hundred seventy three thousand eight hundred eighty days from what then for sixty two weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat so the idea there is it is now a fortified city well the decree to fortify the city is the last one which is in 445 BC and that's the decree under Artaxerxes for Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and that's in Nehemiah 2 verses 1 through 8 so If you start with 445 B.C. and you go to 32 A.D., the difference in years is 476 years times 365 days, or 173,740, and then you go from March to April, because he's figuring the decree was March 14th, because of history, that's 24 days, you add the leap years in and you get the same number of days, which takes you to April 16th of 32 A.D., according to his calculations. So now, if we look at 32 AD, and you look at when the month starts, 32 AD, Passover is on a Monday. Well, that just messes everything up. Because if you correlate the stories in the gospel, you can make a good argument for a Wednesday crucifixion And you can make a good argument for a Thursday crucifixion. You can even make sort of an argument for a Friday crucifixion. You can't make an argument for a Monday crucifixion. Just can't get there from here. So that's Sir Robert Anderson. And again, I am not throwing rocks at this guy. I mean, he has studied this in detail. He has written everything down. You can follow his trail of scriptures and you can follow his reasoning. And he is very clear, very lucid, and a very bright guy. So I am not talking down about it. I'm simply saying there's a hole. All right, let me take you through somebody else. And this is by a guy named David Regan. He's, I believe, somebody down in Texas, he's a pastor. And his perspective is first off, he's using plain vanilla standard 365 day years. No messing around with this prophetic year stuff. And what he's doing is the start is Artaxerxes' command to Ezra in 457 BC. The 457 BC is to restart temple services. And his argument is when the temple services restart, you basically have a going city. The temple's lit off, everybody's coming and going, we're doing sacrifices. You basically have a going city and a going community. So he's using 457 BC as the start of his prophecy. So his numbers, same thing, 69 weeks just like anderson did so 483 years and if you go 457 bc to 27 a.d you get 483 years so let's look at passover on 27 or 28 a.d 27 a.d passover is on a friday and actually when i was reading it it's 27 or 28 and so you have then passover is either a Friday or a Wednesday. Both of those you can make a reasonable argument for. Now, he also takes care of the seven weeks because remember, the 69 weeks is seven plus 62. Arthur Anderson doesn't deal with that first seven weeks. Historically, in 408 BC, which is 49 years from the start of 457 BC, Ezra finished work. He wrote back to the Persians and said, I'm done. Mission complete. So you have in this particular layout a reasonable landing place for Passover. And you have an explanation for the first seven weeks. Why it was divided into 7 plus 62 instead of just 69. And the thing I want to impress on everybody, at least so far, is every one of these things has got something to argue about and something to argue about among people of goodwill who believe the Bible and are genuinely interested in figuring out what happened. Give you a third perspective. These are not years at all. These are Jubilees. What you have then is 69 Jubilees. 69 Jubilees from the Exodus is what this guy says. And the question is, you've got 70 weeks, which is broken down into seven, 62, and one. What is not mentioned anywhere is on which end of that line the one falls. Does the one week fall at the beginning or does the one week fall at the end? Anderson and David Regan here both put that extra week at the end and that's where we do the tribulation and all the stuff in Revelation. Perfectly good explanation. The guy who wants to do Jubilees puts it at the beginning. So you have one, seven, 62 to get to your 70. And if you start at the Exodus and you go 40 years in the wilderness and 10 years for the conquest of the land under Joshua, that's your first jubilee. Then you go seven, total of eight jubilees. That's when Saul is anointed king. Eight times 50 is 400 years from Exodus. And if you look at the reign of David and so forth, and you can you know, do some arithmetic, and he does all that, and I can point you to his website if you want to go look at it. That takes you to the anointing of Saul. Well, it says there will be an anointed one, doesn't it? And so he says the anointed one is Saul. And then from there, he goes 62 weeks, which takes him to the present day. And he says, that's the beginning of Revelation and the tribulation period. So in his perspective, 70 weeks are decreed for your people. Well, your people start at the Exodus, don't they? And it doesn't say 70 weeks. It just says 70 times. Weeks is the translator's interpretation. It's it's Sheboyim. which is masculine for 70, and it is used other places of the Jubilee. So he says, huh, what we have then are 70 Jubilees or 3,500 years. The first Jubilee gets them out of Egypt and into the conquest of the land. The next seven Jubilees take you then to the anointing of Saul as king. Then the next 62 Jubilees take you to the present time when we have the Antichrist and so forth. I have now presented you with four. There's the liberal view that it's all historical. I don't like that one. The other three that I have presented to you, people of goodwill who care about this stuff and study it seriously, have come up with three reasonably plausible explanations. My only message to y'all is don't get snarky with each other about this stuff. As you deal with your Christian friends, there are people that will get welded into one of these positions and they'll fight with you over it as opposed to discussing it. What I'm suggesting to you is the best brains in humanity have been messing with us for 2300 years and we don't have a consensus. So don't get snarky with each other or with anybody else about the interpretation you now know as much as I know about this and I don't know of the three the one that seems perhaps most likely to me is Reagan's but again if you like one of the other three better by all means enjoy yourselves although I wouldn't take the first one the the liberal one. I, I don't think that one's any good but if you like Anderson go with Anderson if you like Regan, go with him. If you like this guy that's doing jubilees, it, and if anybody wants it, I'd I'll, I'll be happy to give you his website. He's Australian, and he's got it all laid out. He does a couple of things that I don't like. It starts off with the decree to build Jerusalem. That's the start. And he puts the missing week, if you will, at the beginning. So then... Coming from the Exodus 50 years, you come to the end of the conquest under Joshua. He says that's the decree to build Jerusalem. Well, it's not. Because the tabernacle goes to Shechem where it stays for several hundred years until Daniel finally conquers Jerusalem and brings it to Jerusalem. And that's when Jerusalem becomes, Well, and what he says, well, there's two Jerusalem. There's a spiritual Jerusalem and there's a physical Jerusalem. So when I say that there are problems with everybody That's what I mean. And so that one at least becomes wobbly for me when he does something like that. Anderson's become wobbly because he fetches up on a year when the crucifixion just doesn't work that week. So he becomes wobbly for me. Reagan's pretty good. No obvious holes, but don't know. So next week we'll go on to the soap opera. Daniel 10 is a soap opera, and that's the history of the conflicts between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, and you got this king allied with this king, and this king married this king's sister, and it's a soap opera, and I have a chart that I will put up, and when I'm talking the king of the south, the king of the north, it'll show you who it is and what year they were king, and Daniel's prophecy exactly tracks the soap opera between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. And then the week after, we'll go into 11 and finish the book up. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.